Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Humagro Farmer podcast with your host, Larry Cooper. On today's episode, I'm happy to introduce Dan Hilger. Mr. Hilger has been farming in Nebraska for over 50 years, and he's joining us over the telephone from East Central Nebraska, about 90 miles west of Omaha. We've named this podcast The Humagro Farmer, and one of the first people I think about that personifies that name is Dan Hilger, who I met several times over the years and who I know has been using Humagro products on his own farm for over 30 years. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, give us a little background about how you came to farming and about what your operation involves right now. Well, I was raised on a farm, and I always say I started farming when I was old enough to carry a bucket of feed to the hogs, you know, and uh, I started track, driving a tractor when I was somewhere around uh, 10, 11 years old. Uh, of course, there were a lot smaller tractors than what we've got today, but they didn't have near the safety features either of what we've got today. So, uh, but uh, um, after high school, just kind of went right on into farming uh, with my brother and my dad. And then eventually um, got off on my own. Right now we're farming uh, conventional corn as well as some popcorn and uh, soybeans. And also we raise some rye that is used for cover crops. And we're, we're very big into planting cover crops. We like to get everything uh, seeded down in the fall following the corn and the, and the, and the soybeans. Also after harvesting our rye crop uh, in July, we like to get that seeded down there in August or early September, uh, so we've got a nice uh, green cover on the ground over winter, so we don't have the erosion issues, and it's uh, pulling carbon out of the air, building the soil, uh, just doing uh, you know a lot of good things for the soil, but it also helps to hold back on weed pressure for us the, the coming year with our corn or soybeans, and so that's a, a really big help today. So a little while back, there was an article about you in the local newspaper, the Banner Press, that carried the headline, Bellwood Area Farmer Doesn't Mind Taking a Less Conventional Route. So, Dan, I've met you, and I, I think you're a little bit unconventional. <laughs> you know, I won't tell the audience that I've, that I've seen you dance and that you're a pretty good dancer. What was it that led to that article in the newspaper? Well, uh, I'm probably one of the only guys around in, in my area here uh, that raises rye as a commercial crop. Uh, and uh, I, I got into uh, the cover crop thing, you know, quite a few years ago, well, maybe five years ago, something like that. And uh, just decided that if I was gonna do this, the, the economical way to do it would be to raise my own seed. So, of course, the first year I bought my seed and then I just always left a part of the farm, uh, go to seed for rye. But uh, we're, we're probably doing a little bit more of that uh, in our rotation now all the time. So, um, first it was just a matter of leaving a little patch, but it, now, now it is actually a rotation crop. So I, I feel that if I can have my ground left to go to seed in rye every third or fourth year, uh, I think that does some really good things for the ground, uh, just getting something different growing there. Um, it just uh, helps build that soil organic matter and, uh, and keep down the weed pressure, things like that too. So I, I know that about 30 years ago, you started using Humagro products. How did that come about? 
Well, I think I actually the first year that I used it, I, I used some of their hay preservatives. I was putting up quite a bit of alfalfa at the time, and and then I I tried using some of their ring applied uh, biostimulant product, and uh, I thought you know, gee whiz, that that really seemed like it and made better corn that year. So uh, we we uh, came down to. Uh, Arizona there in the winter time to a conference that you had and uh, visited with a number of people there that were using the products and uh, then we did some traveling went up into Washington and Oregon and Idaho and and visited with some farmers up in that area too that were using the products and one of the things that uh, seemed to be a real common theme was that their plants were so much healthier and more insect resistant uh, and they didn't need as many of the chemicals that, that uh, I've been using, you know, over the years. And uh, I, that really appealed to me because one of the things that I'd seen with, especially the insecticides over the years, was that uh, they'd come out with a new insecticide and say, well, this is a whole new chemistry and bugs aren't going to get resistant to this. And four or five years later, the, the bugs were resistant to it. And so uh, to me, it, it just seemed like uh, that was kind of a dead-end circle that we were running in, uh, and we needed to, to take a different approach to this. And uh, the approach was really soil health and, and raising a plant that was healthy enough to resist the bugs or the bugs didn't like, whichever the case may be. And uh, it just seemed to, to really appeal to me to, to do it that way. But, uh, you know, and also, you know, they were noting that they had uh, good crops uh, as far as yields were concerned and things like that, too. So, obviously, that appeals to anybody that's trying to look at their bottom line. So, uh, we just kind of got into it. And then uh, for seven years, we actually raised commercial potatoes. It wasn't a real big scale, but uh, it was a fresh pack operation that we had going and did that, like I say, for seven years until the price of potatoes got so low that we couldn't afford to do it anymore. And at that time, it seemed like uh, that sort of thing. It went from small farmers doing that to, to large corporations doing that anyway. And so we, we got out while well, getting out was good on the potato production side and uh, never looked back. About that time, then we, we switched to raising popcorn. The thing I liked about popcorn is it was shelf-stable. You didn't have to have it marketed within a few days like you did with the potatoes. So uh, we can actually store it, you know, from harvest uh, on into the, to the next year to uh, have something to market. So that, that worked out a lot better for us and a lot less work, too. <laughs> and you've evolved to the point where you're now directly marketing your own, your own popcorn. You're bagging it, bagging it and marketing under... Hilger Agrinatural Gourmet Popcorn, yes? Yes, that's right. And uh, we do raise everything that we sell, and that's pretty unusual for a popcorn company. There's not very many people out there doing that. Uh, most people that are marketing popcorn are, are just buying it from farmers wherever, you know, they can get it and uh, uh, not really knowing exactly what they're doing for production where uh, I know exactly what's going into this popcorn in the production side of it, and I like what I'm doing. 
Two things that I noticed on the bag is that one, the ingredient list, it just says popcorn, <laughs> which yeah, is yeah. a very very short list. Well, and uh, the other is, is that <laughs> the other is that you advertise it as being probiotically grown. Yes, that's the, that's the whole thing. The probiotically grown, uh, it's the biostimulant, you know, side of it that uh, it, it gets the microbes in the soil very active and, and they proliferate a whole lot and they make the nutrients in the soil a whole lot more available. And I really believe that's what uh, makes for healthier plants and, and more insect resistant plants or that the bugs don't like. I, I don't know if the plant is really just a resistant or the sugar levels are too high and the bugs don't like it or, or exactly what's happening there. But we know it works. That's the main thing. So um, that, it, that's the thing that I really, really like about what we're doing there. And uh, it's able to get by without the insecticides. So that, that helps a, a whole lot. So may I ask, do you have a, a Humagrow program that you're using with your popcorn and what products might those be? Well, we'll start in the fall. We treat everything in the fall with the uh, fertile humus, and uh, that kind of gets things going over winter. And uh, now that we're using the cover crop, I, I think the two actually complement each other because the, uh, the the cover crops, you know, provide a root system there for the microbes to feed off of too. And uh, we're the, the Probiotics are helping to proliferate that microbe population so that uh, it just gets that soil, it builds the humus in the soil, and, and soil is just so much looser, easier to, to work with. I can go out in the field and just dig down into the ground with my bare hands and, and dig up the soil where before, you know, it's always very hard. You have to use a, a sharp spade to dig anything up. But, uh, I've really seen. Yeah, I've, I've been out in fields where even a sharp spade, you've got to put your weight into it to to break into that ground. Oh yeah, yes. And now I've got uh, I've got one of these probes. It's got a, like a little hydraulic cylinder in there with a pressure gauge, and so you can kind of when you push that into the ground, you can really see how much pressure it's taking. And I've definitely seen a difference where we're using the Humagrow products uh, that takes less pressure to push that probe into the ground. Uh, it just uh, keeps that ground looser. And, and uh, of course, that way your your root system is, is able to grow a lot easier uh, and uh, pick up the nutrients down deeper and all that sort of thing, too. So that seems to help out quite a bit. Uh, you have a lot less drought stress when we do hit the dry periods. Of, here usually in July it gets pretty dry. That really helps out, I think. So I mentioned in the intro that you've been using Humagrove for 30 years. Can you see or notice a difference between your fields and your neighbors? Yes, I, I think I can. Uh, the you know, of course the big difference is uh, in the summertime on the corn, the uh, airplanes are flying constantly around here, spraying for corn borer and that sort of thing. And my fields don't need it, uh, you know. So that's that's a huge difference. But uh, in the other fields that I've gone into, I don't go into my neighbor's fields a whole lot. But uh, you know, I really find that, that uh, I can't sit down and, and and dig down into the ground with their bare hands, with my bare hands, like like I can uh, on my own ground. And, and there's just a different smell to the ground too. It, uh, 
it just doesn't smell as healthy as as mine does. It's just there's just something different there. Yeah, I can imagine. You know, you put your hands down into the soil, and and you know what it's supposed to smell like. And and sometimes you'll do that on a field, and and all you smell is is chemical, and uh, that just can't be healthy, right? Right, right. That's that's the problem. And you know, the if you if you're not doing something to get your microbes to really become active. Then, then you're going to have to use more chemicals, and and that's just it, they're against killing more microbes. So uh, it's it's just kind of the wrong way to go, as far as I'm concerned. But keeping that healthy plant, and the nice part about it, once you've got a healthy plant, well, then the end product ends up tasting better and being healthier uh, for the people that are eating it. And that's why you know I I really strive to uh, work with uh, at least part of my production here as in uh, human uh, consumption products because uh, people will tell you it tastes better but if it's corn that's going to a cow well they'll eat anything they'll <laughs> tell you what tastes better so. so you were telling us about the hemogrow products that you're using and and we got up to um, the fertile humus in the in the fall uh, oh, yes. what about in the springtime yeah, then we'll use the, the fertile soil, uh, and that product, I'll try to split it up. Uh, I'll put some on with my starter fertilizer, you know, when I'm planting my corn or my beans, and then uh, try to put some more on uh, either as foliar or with the uh, side dress fertilizer that I'm putting on my corn. But uh, I really feel that that is best uh, splitting it up two or three applications through the year uh, rather than just doing it at, at one application. But uh, we'll also come in with my starter fertilizer. I'll use a couple quarts of Superfoss and uh, a little bit of breakout in there instead of using 1034-0. And so they'll use about seven gallons of the 32 which is a straight nitrogen product, liquid nitrogen, and uh, put that FOSS in there instead of uh, using 1034-0. And it's really a lot cheaper, and uh, I get every bit as not, if not better results out of it uh, because the uh, the FOSS in the super FOSS just totally stays available. Whereas 1034-0, most of the phosphorus will, will tie up within a few days. Some will tie up within hours, actually. So uh, it just uh, that's that's been a really good way to go for me. Then I'll come back in uh, usually with some foliars. Vital is a great product, uh, especially if I'm spraying a herbicide. Put some Vital in with the herbicide. It seems to make it work a whole lot better than killing the weeds. Using that, it it also just keeps to you know keeps that plant growing healthy. Uh, and some breakout too early in the season when it's trying to set on seed and then come back with some uh, potassium uh, later in the season when after the seeds have set, uh, like on the ear corn, and then uh, come back with that potassium and it just helps them to fill good, healthy seeds. So, you know, that's that's kind of the way I, I look at it because your your plant really needs a potassium late in the season. It doesn't need it early in the season. That's that's my my way of looking at things. And a little bit of crop guard, I, I put some of that in too, especially later in the season. Uh, we get a lot of fungus problems around here. Our humidity in the summertime uh, is quite high. 
and uh, and so fungus problems are, are getting worse and worse every year. It seems like there's another new one comes out every year uh, around here. So uh, I I do use some of that. I, I don't really see a lot of problems out there, but to me it's it's kind of a cheap insurance. Well, I'm doing a full year anyway to put some crop card in there, and, and I, I just don't get all those fungus problems. So that's a, that's a good product to use, too. So you've mentioned that in your part of Nebraska, drought is not a problem, but you've had a problem with too much moisture. Uh, talk to me about well, that a little bit. Yeah, this is in the spring of the year, you know, and it, it varies dramatically from one year to another here. But um, where we're on the Platte River Valley, the ground is, is fairly flat, and the water can tend to, to back up here onto our ground, and especially in the early spring. And also we've had times in, in June and even in July where we get heavy rains and, and the water backs up on the field. But uh, one of the things that I, I really feel that uh, using the, the probiotics that uh, my ground is able to recover from those kind of situations a lot quicker than it, than it would otherwise. So, because uh, you can, otherwise you can just see a lot of really yellowing of the corn and things like that when it gets, where it's at standing water on it, even if it's just for a day. But uh, with probiotics, it seems to really help quite a bit with that situation. Yeah, and, and this last year here, 2019, is probably going to go down as one of the wettest years that we've had in a very long time or probably in my lifetime, as far as I can remember. We've had heavy rains before, but not as many as, as what we've had this year. And our humidity, like I say, is, is getting higher, too, every year. But uh, we have a lot of pivot irrigation in this area of the country. And, of course, with some, even when you do get dry days, you know, then everybody's running the pivot. So uh, it gets that humidity in the air right on up there again, too. And, of course, contributes to the fungus problems that uh, a lot of people have on uh, the crops. So that's that's something that, you know, we're always watching out for, too. But it, it just seems like this whole agriculture scene is, is things are changing every year. And you've got to kind of keep on track of, of, of what's what's coming your way. Uh, uh, and I do always watching the tweets that the University of Nebraska puts out, and uh, it's always interesting. It seems like just about every day they're they're coming up with another area that's having a fungus problem or some kind of a stock rot problem or a cerium problem or, you know, or something something along that line. Uh, now we've got a new insect here uh, called the soybean gall midge, which is starting to attack the soybeans, especially along grassy borders. They, they seem to tend to overwinter uh, in the grass and then come out of the grass in the spring of the year and attack soybeans. So, you know, it's just uh, seems like when you think you got one problem solved, uh, something else comes along. So <laughs> you well, that's the nature of farming, top. isn't it? There's yeah, always another yeah, problem just, to be solved. Right. You know, it just uh, it, it just never ended anything, and you've really got to stay on top of all this. And um, and I, I really feel that, you know, with the probiotics and the foliar feedings that I'm doing and raising healthier plants, it, it just really helps me uh, stay ahead of a lot of that sort of thing. 
it just to me it's just the way to go you know I'm very pleased with what I've been doing and like I say my customers are pleased with my popcorn and I guess that's all that matters if I'm happy and they're happy you know what else <laughs> so you were telling me the other day a story about how you inherited some of your neighbors topsoil tell me that story Yes, it's uh, you know right on my fence line, and I actually took some pictures this spring uh, where I had uh, a rye cover crop seeded in an area where I, I get water that runs into my farm off of my neighbor. And so I went out there and took a picture, and he did not have any cover crops on his, and you could just plainly see where the soil had eroded off of his ground, but then uh, where my cover crop of rye was, then I, I just had like drifts of topsoil in there. In some places, it was like a foot deep. Um, so I, I virtually inherited um, tons of uh, prime topsoil this spring off of my neighbors now. I don't think I'll have to pay inheritance tax on that, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> so, so all that topsoil washed off over to yours. So, but you've got that that good soft soil you were telling me about earlier. So the water probably infiltrated down, and now you've got a little bit of extra for when the next dry season comes, right? Right. Yes. I, you know, I really believe that. And, uh, and watching my neighbors pivots run, uh, I, I probably run my pivot about half as much as, uh, some of the guys do. And, and actually some of the guys run there so much that I'm probably about a fourth as much as they run theirs. And, uh, I don't feel my crops ever stress for, you know, dryness, you know, and of course July is usually the, the prime month for irrigating. And some some in August as well, but uh, this year I only I ran my pivot about two thirds of the way around, and that was at a, at a period there in July when the weatherman said it wasn't going to rain for two weeks, and so I thought, well, I better get it started rather than get behind because we don't have a, a really a lot of water available for irrigation, and I got two thirds of the way around in a rain, so. <laughs> So instead of two weeks, it was two days to the next rain. <laughs> so yeah. I probably wouldn't have needed to run it, but uh, you know, it was one of those things you don't want to get behind either. You know, so anytime you think you've got to step up on nature, nature comes back around to remind you that you don't. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's right. That uh, Mother Nature is the boss. Uh, you know, and uh, you try to fight what she wants to do. Uh, she's just going to fight back all the harder. If you try to work with nature, well, then nature seems to want to work with you. And uh, that, that's kind of my approach. So Yeah. You know, I'm hearing more talk about people trying to grow in accordance with nature rather than trying to fight nature. You know, the whole, the whole pesticide, herbicide thing, the whole, you know, a lot of the issues that you're talking about here that if you just pay attention to what nature is trying to teach you, you know, and like what you're doing with keeping the keeping the soil covered with covered crops and keeping live roots in the soil, you know, as much of the year as you can and and just not messing things up for nature, you're, you, things are coming out okay with you. Well, I, I really believe that too, you know, and, and uh, there's nature's got a plan if you can figure out what that plan is and and try to work with it instead of against it 
uh, you're just you're you're better off. That's all there's to it. It's my book anyway. So Dan, changing the topic a little bit, uh, tell me tell me if there are any farming issues in general. What's keeping you up at night these days out in the ag world? Well, well yeah, um, our prices for our commodities um, for the last uh, about five years have been quite depressed. You know, uh, a lot of people are trying to blame the uh, China thing that's going on with the. Uh, uh, <laughs> marketing and stuff like that but you know really All the tariffs. Uh, the tariffs yeah in reality you know we've been been heading this way ever since 2012 that was the, the drought year where we saw corn prices get up to seven even eight dollars a bushel for a while there and uh, so everybody got really excited and a lot of people plowed up a lot of grassland and, and things like that that they shouldn't have and pushed real hard to raise more corn because they all thought that just uh, $8 corn was something that was going to be here to stay. Well, it, it wasn't. Uh, that's all there's to it. And within a couple of years, we had uh, built up a surplus of corn again, and the prices have just been coming down ever since. So uh, what's going to happen in the future here as far as that's concerned, we're really not sure. And this year, with all the wet weather across the, the Corn Belt, which uh, really extends from Ohio to Nebraska, we, we're seeing a, sh- a shorter crop than, than what would be normal. And, uh, and our prices still haven't really come up that much. So if we'd had a, a really bumper crop this year, I, I don't know what stuff would be worth, but probably not very much. And so that's that's a real concern for a lot of people, and uh, there's there's a lot of farmers out here that are very deep in debt. There's a lot of when they got that uh, eight dollar corn, they went out and bought some high priced ground for ten, eleven thousand dollars an acre, bought a lot of fancy new machinery on time payments, and now they're having a little problem making their payments. Fortunately, I didn't get caught up into that this time around. Uh, yeah, but uh, th- that's that's a real problem for a lot of guys right now, and uh, they're just deep in debt, and the bankers aren't sure what to do because they they can't really foreclose on them because they're not going to really get their money back out of them if they foreclose on them. But they're they're scared to death to to lend them any more, you know. And um, I I don't know what's going to happen here in the next couple of years if we don't get better prices. Uh, things are are going to see some changes or some property changing hands or, or something. I'm not sure what's going to happen. But uh, And the other thing that's happening, too, is that a lot of the farmers that started kind of when I did uh, were the baby boom generation, the people that were born shortly after World War II. And now uh, we're kind of in that retirement age sort of thing. And it's really tough for a young person to come in and uh, start farming today, it, it takes such a huge investment, and you have to know what you're doing as well. Uh, there are some people that are trying to get their their sons started farming, and I'm kind of trying to do the same thing with my son, and that's why we're diversifying somewhat too to to get into some things that somebody else isn't doing. Uh, but uh, it's it's really tough for for young people to get started farming. And, and so I don't know what's going to happen here when, when a lot of people that are in their, their late 60s, early 70s uh, retire. 
because uh, I, I just don't know who's going to take this all over someday because people aren't going to come out of town and spend millions of dollars to start farming. It just isn't going to happen. So, so you, you be, mentioned uh, back in the beginning of our, our podcast here that you grew up farming with your folks and, and with your brother, and mm-hmm. you've mentioned that your son is, is working with you part-time. Is he going to be able to take over when you retire? Well, I sure hope so. Uh, that's kind of the plan, but, but we are kind of a diversified operation here, too. We we also have a, a seed cleaning business where we go out in the summertime and, and clean rye for people on a custom basis, and uh, that business is growing substantially every year. Uh, we also go out in the fall. We've got a 30-foot uh, cedar that we can uh, drill rye with, you know, following corn or soybeans. And that business is, is picking up too. So, uh, and the popcorn business seems to be picking up a bit more all the time. We're always trying to get more markets for the popcorn. And that's, that's a tough thing to do uh, today, getting into these grocery stores and trying to work with these warehouses and uh, these big corporations. They, it just takes them months to months, if not years, to make any kind of a decision as to, to what they're going to do. But there's just so many new food products coming out every year that uh, it, it makes it pretty tough to uh, get a new product on the market unless you've got millions of dollars to spend on advertising, which I don't have. <laughs> well, we'll give um, you a little advertising today here. Um, okay. yeah. <laughs> as, 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 I'm, as I'm talking uh, to folks, I, I find that the, the growers that are diversifying seem to be the ones who are most successful these days. I think the days of you know doing one monocrop a year and sitting back and, and taking in the profits are probably over. The farmer who diversifies and, and does what you're doing, looking for, you know, what are some nooks that I can get into that nobody else is doing where I can, you know, make a success of what I'm doing uh, probably is the best way to go, huh? Well, that's just about it. And it just seems to me like if you're willing to do with what nobody else wants to do, that's a good opportunity. <laughs> You know, uh, it it, uh, it seems kind of strange, but uh, that's just kind of the way it is. What the the best nook or cranny to get into as far as an alternative source of income is, and it's going to depend a lot on on the person and where they're at and and all that sort of thing. But uh, most financial experts will tell you today, if you if you want to farm, you better have some kind of off farm income, either that or alternative income of some sort, because the, uh, the, the strictly the farm income just isn't uh, getting it in most cases. And a lot of people are trying to, to farm really, really big to, uh, you know, offset that thing. But the problem is with that, you've got to spend a fortune on uh, equipment every year because that stuff wears out if you're wearing a, running a lot of acres. And also, you if you're trying to rent ground, you've got to outbid everybody else in the, in the whole neighborhood. So you're you're not renting ground cheap, that's for sure. So I I don't know what the answer is really going to be there, but uh, going to well, be some... You're right. It's probably different for everybody, but you have to be alert to opportunities that come along, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, you you really do. And and catching the market prices at the right time is is huge too. Uh, we see such wide swings in in market prices uh, nowadays. Uh, just not unusual to to see uh, price of corn or beans uh, 50 or 60 cents uh, above or below where it was a month ago, you know. And so 
if you can sell at the right time, you know, that's, that's huge too, because that, that extra 50 cents a bushel uh, can make a big difference as to whether you're going to be here next year or not, you know. So that, that's a huge thing to consider too. So there's, there's a lot of ups and downs with farming. You've, you've talked about that a little bit here, and the guy's got to be resilient if he's going to keep at it. Tell me about a time when you hit one of those downs, maybe a failure, and what you did about it. Well, back in the 80s, uh, we had kind of a farm crisis here too, and uh, right in the middle of that, uh, pretty much everything that I was farming was, was Platte Valley ground, and uh, we had a lot of high water problems, a lot of flooding problems, and uh, crop damage uh, things that come from that. And when that ground stands underwater for a month or something, uh, you just don't raise anything there. That's all there's to it. And so that really hit me pretty hard. It set me back quite a ways. Basically, I had to start over, you might say. But uh, it's it's been a, a long process, but but uh, we managed to pull through it. Uh, it wasn't easy by any means. But uh, it's just one of those things that, that, that happens in agriculture. And I can see an awful lot of people uh, right now that are farming a lot of that wet ground that uh, didn't raise a crop this year. Uh, they do fortunately get some uh, crop insurance off of it for prevented plant acres, but uh, not sure that's really going to pay the bills real well. So <laughs> kind of hard to tell you what's going to happen there. So I was uh, reading a little while ago a guy who was talking about that he feels crop insurance is sometimes part of the problem. Do you ever get that sense? What he was talking about was that people keep doing things over and over again that they know probably aren't going to be successful, but because of crop insurance, they go ahead and do it anyway rather than figuring out smarter or better ways to deal with problems. Well, that that could be true to a certain extent. Uh, you, you know, you get sometimes we can get bad infestations of insects and and sometimes, like I say, it's it's just a high water problem. Uh, there's ground not too far from me that, you know, might raise crop one out of three or four years because it's just uh, such low ground. It should have never been broke up. It should have been left in grass. You know, when, like I say, during the 2012, when we had the $7, $8 corn, um, everybody thought we can farm all that stuff. Of course, it was a dry year, and, and those, those were years that you could get into that ground and farm it. But uh, when we get wet years like this again, um, you just can't you can't raise anything on that kind of ground. That's all there's to it. So, but you know they, they're basically farming the the crop insurance program is what they're they're doing, and uh, I'm not sure how long uh, that's going to last because eventually they're going to say, well, hey, this ground never produces anything. <laughs> We're not going to give you insurance anymore. <laughs> well, you know, and so, and. Uh, a lot of guys take a look at that and say, you know, I, I didn't really become a farmer to farm the crop insurance program, and there's not a right. lot of satisfaction in that. You know, I yeah. want to do something that makes me feel good about my contribution to the world, and that ain't it. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know, if you go back uh, a number of years, uh, we used to have an idle acre program because we had such a surplus of, of crops in this country. And uh, basically, you ended up uh, farming the farming uh, farm program, you know, to get paid to, to not farm. 
Well, that just, you know, really wasn't appealing. I mean, a lot of guys had to do it in order to, to pay the bills. And, but uh, it wasn't what anybody ever wanted to do, you know. It just, uh, but sometimes you got to roll with the punches and do what you got to do to make things work. So. so, Dan, at the end of every podcast, I always use the phrase, grow healthy. And I'm just curious, what, what would that phrase mean to you uh, in terms of what you're doing on your operation? What does grow healthy mean? Well, I think, obviously, you got to start with the soil and uh, produce a healthy soil. And uh, that, that's, that's where you're, you're, you've got to start. But um, the, the idea of, of being totally reliant upon all the insecticides and fungicides and, and things like that to keep your crop growing is not what I call grow healthy, uh, but, uh, but rather trying to work with nature more and uh, grow that healthy plant that's uh, more insect and disease resistant is is really the key there. All right. Well, Dan, it's been a great pleasure to speak with you on the Humagro Farmer podcast. Thank you very much. I hope I'll see you at next year's Humagro World Conference in Arizona. Before we close, yeah. tell us how people can order Hilger Natural Gourmet Popcorn. Well, the easiest way is just uh, Google Hilger Popcorn, H-I-L-G-E-R, and uh, you, you'll take you right to my website, and there's a place on there where you can click on where you can place an order. It's uh, twenty right now. The price is twenty-two dollars for eight two-pound bags of popcorn, and we ship those out in a flat rate box. And so the twenty-two dollars covers the cost of the popcorn and the freight, which I think is a good buy personally. Uh, but uh, we do market quite a bit of that, you know, every year that way, but uh, bulk of our popcorn is still sold uh, in local grocery stores. But uh, we do have some distributors that are distributing some for us as, as well as we do market direct to, to some of the local grocery stores ourselves. That's been what's working for us. But uh, like I said before, we're, we're trying more and more all the time to, to work with distributors because that's an awful lot easier way to do it. Uh, unfortunately, they always have to mark the price up and cover their costs, so it ends up being a little bit more expensive to the consumer. There's just no way that we could personally cover the area that that's being covered by our distributors uh, on our own. We just simply don't have the time to do it, and trying to hire somebody to do it just wouldn't be feasible. So uh, that's kind of where we're at, but uh, always trying to expand. I'll tell people that uh, there will be a blog post for this podcast, and I'll put a link to, number one, the article about you, and also a link to your website so that if people are interested, they've got a quick way to get over there and and find out what Hilger Gourmet Popcorn is all about and maybe get some ordered and sit down and watch a movie okay. some Friday night with some of Dan's popcorn. That sounds like yeah, a wonderful thing to do this fall. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Football season is always big uh, for us because uh, people love to eat popcorn when they're watching the football game. So uh, that, that's, a, that's a major thing. <laughs> All right. Well, Dan, it has been a great pleasure, and thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, you're very welcome. Glad, glad we could do this. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Humagrow Farmer. Keep following these podcasts for the latest information on enhancing your crops using Humagrow products. Grow healthy.